Welcome back to Real Presence Live. This is Emily Leadham. And I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald. And we have been having an excellent morning, and the phones are ringing, which means it is time for Straight Talk. This is your opportunity to share your questions, comments on topics relating to the faith or on things happening in the world around us with your local hosts. So... We are going to open up the phone lines, and we would love to hear from you. You can give us a call, or you can put... Why are you smirking at me? You have to give the number out. Okay, are you ready for I'm, this? I'm ready. Area code 877 We've been practicing. We, we just have. nailed it. We have. Can we just we have, have a moment? There High we five. Yep. We needed that moment. We've been practicing <laughs> this for weeks, folks. For weeks. <laughs> so please call in so that we know that our efforts to help you memorize the phone maybe, number were not in vain. <laughs> maybe you should just say the number in case they missed it in the midst of our beautiful singing. Because we were so excited. 877-795-0122. Now I got the cadence. I, I can't, know, even, I I can't even not cadence it. This is this is a problem though. Have I told you this is my pet peeve when somebody leaves a voicemail for me and they only oh, yeah, tell me yeah, their yeah, number totally, one time? Totally. I never get it, yeah. and then I have to listen to the whole message, right. you know, like five more times. Okay, and maybe since twice. this is live radio, they can't rewind. Exactly, us right now. exactly. So again, eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two is the phone number. You can also ask your questions on Facebook. Um, the Facebook page is Real Presence Radio, radio Network. Network. Uh, you can find things there and uh, or find a space to answer questions there. Uh, the illustrious Dr. Chris Bergwald. <laughs> is that a proper use of that word? Sure. Uh, sure. Is, is our, our lovely host this morning is going to be answering questions this morning. Uh, Dr. Chris, do you want to just say a little bit about, not that you need to offer your credentials, oh, yeah. um, but just kind of where where you... Kind of were formed in the faith, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I received my uh, medical degree from the. No, no, <laughs> it's doctor is not. Uh, I'm not a medical doctor. I do not play one on TV, and certainly not on the radio. Um, so I can't help you with any ailments. However, uh, I do have an undergrad and doctoral degree in theology. Franciscan University of Steubenville for the undergrad, and the Pontifical University of Saint Thomas Aquinas, aka the Angelicum, because Saint Thomas Aquinas is the angelic doctor. So and. Angelicum uh, is the nickname for that university in Rome. So that's where I got my doctorate back in 2004. I defended my dissertation on December 7th. Do, do you the, remember that? The, well, that, that's, that's the day, that's the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Oh. So uh, that, frankly, President Roosevelt at the time said, it's yeah. a date that will live in, inf- live in infamy. infamy. And yeah. then I found out that's when I'm that's when you were doing your dissertation. dissertation. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Well, so I didn't bomb. I didn't get bombed, fortunately. <laughs> Well, we are ready to answer your questions of faith, and it looks like we have somebody already on the phone, Marianne from Dickinson. Uh, Marianne, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay, go ahead, Marianne. Okay, my question this morning is if you could explain Gregorian Masses. I've learned a little bit about them from my parents, but I feel there's a lot of people that, and including myself, that don't know all the benefits to Gregorian Masses for the poor souls. So, um, tell me a little bit about what your understanding of Gregorian Masses is, just so we can make sure that we're on the same page. Um, well, what I learned from my parents is it's usually 30 Masses in a row, yep. and for a particular deceased person. And at the end of those 30 days, 
that they should be they should receive admittance into heaven. Yes, so it's a it's a great question, especially in this month of November, Marian. Thanks thanks for asking it. So November is the month where we, in a particular way, are invited to not just think about but pray for uh, the poor souls in purgatory. So those men and women who have died in a state of grace but still need some purification from sins. So we know as as Catholics, we're 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 asked to pray for the souls in purgatory year round, but in a particular way. Um, during the month of November is, is kind of dedicated to these souls because we start off with All Saints Day on the 1st, but then All Souls Day on the 2nd, uh, a, a day that's particularly offered, uh, or uh, that Mass, that feast is offered with the souls in purgatory in mind. <clears throat> and then there is this this um, like devotion um which includes the liturgy, the mass of Gregorian masses. So Marianne, as you just said, um, just to repeat for our listeners, it's the tradition of offering um, mass 30 days in a row, 30 consecutive days, as soon as possible after someone has died. Um, so somebody dies and then some point shortly thereafter to, to offer 30 consecutive days, those masses for those 30 consecutive days for that person um, and for for their purification uh, in purgatory, and so they can they can um, get out as quickly as possible, if you will, and get into heaven. And I just want to read a little bit from uh, what the Shrine of Divine Mercy says about the benefits of uh, ha- of this tradition of offering the Gregorian masses. The custom of offering Gregorian masses for a particular soul recognizes that few people are immediately ready for, he- for heaven after death, and that through the infinite intercessory power of Christ's sacrifice made present in Holy Mass. A soul can be continually perfected in grace and enabled to enter finally into the union with the Most Holy Trinity, our God, who is love himself. So this goes, this is a tradition that goes back all the way to Pope Gregory the Great, way back in the 6th and 7th century AD. Um, and this, this, this practice of offering masses, um, it, it's, a, it's a benefit, especially because the mass is the greatest prayer, Marianne. And so because we're offering 30 consecutive masses, there's nothing magic about the number 30, but just a month's worth, give or take, of masses. Uh, it, it's a way for us to help um, the soul get to heaven more quickly. And there is this tradition, we don't know this for definitively, but there is this tradition with this devotion that at the end of the 30 days, um, w- th- that soul does enter into purgatory. Does that answer a little bit more about your question, Marianne? Yes, it does. And I, my other question kind of was, are they Latin masses? Or? Not necessary. Yeah. So not necessary. So people might hear Gregorian and think of Gregorian chant. Um, yeah. It's not. It's not necessarily uh, Latin mass or mass with Gregorian chant. It's called Gregorian because it's the the, the tradition. The devotion is connected to Pope uh, Saint Gregory the Great way back again in the fifth or sixth century. Okay. Well, thank you. All right. For your Thanks audience. so much, Marianne. Thanks, Marianne. God bless you. What an interesting question! I have not, ha, ha, I have not really heard of that devotion before, yeah, I, so I'm really curious I wasn't that to learn. Familiar with, with it either myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's something that's all that common, kind of in the United States right now, or if there's maybe other, um, you know, churches throughout the world where right. it's a bit more common. Other cultures, where it's yeah, more other common. cultures. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I'm glad Marianne asked about because I do think it's a, a, I think it's we we do. You know, I was at a, a oh. 
on All Souls Day, the, the priest who said Mass during his homily just talked about the importance of of praying for the souls in purgatory. Yeah, and and yeah. I think we forget about it, understandably, rightly so. We want our, our, our deceased ones to get to heaven ASAP, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a, a benefit, mm-hmm. um, a, a need in yeah. a sense. It's a work of charity to pray for the, the yeah, dead. Yeah. Um, so it's a good thing to do. Yeah. And I think there's actually a lot of traditions uh, that exist within the church that um, help us to do that. I, I, and I'm going to totally blank on the saint. You might be able to fill it in for me, but uh, a saint that, that wrote a prayer, um, and it was basically told to, to this saint, um, if you pray this however many times, every time you pray it, a thousand souls will be right. released from right. um, the, the place of purgatory right. or something like right. that. Do you right. remember? Do you know what that, I'm talking about? Is that about? Those Saint Rita? Is, That's what I wanted to, I th- yeah. I think it's the Saint Rita prayer book. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. But there's so many, you know, there's such a richness of, of tradition surrounding prayers for the dead. The other one that that I was thinking of was um, the anointing of the sick right. or the, and then the apostolic pardon, yep. um, which, uh, you know, as a, as a lay person, I'm not all that familiar with. So the apostolic uh, pardon is a blessing that can be given and should be given um, when somebody is dying. Um, usually they received um, anointing of the sick and viaticum, which is Holy communion um, for that final journey through death. And then this, this, this blessing, this prayer, the apostolic pardon, um, which is really a, 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 a prayer that's intended to hasten as much as possible the 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 purification that happens in purgatory. So that 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 this this person is there dying that they could um, when they die get to heaven as quickly as possible. In fact, the prayer itself is um, the way it reads is 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 almost as if it's it, you could dig this maybe too far, but as if you go straight to heaven when you die. Well, if there's some purification that remains that has to happen but this is a powerful prayer that should always be prayed uh, by the priest when somebody's dying which just makes that cleansing that purifying happen a little bit more quickly mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. yeah i love um c.s lewis's great divorce i yeah. feel like it kind of offered me a, a bit of an understanding or a vision for um what that looks like by the way if you're just tuning in welcome to real presence live we are on straight talk with dr chris bergwald answering your questions of faith. Uh, The number to call in 877-795-0122. That's area code 877-795-0122. We're so good at that. Yeah, I'm so yeah, proud of we, us. We got it. Um, so please call in. You can also Facebook, ask your question yep. on Facebook, uh, the Facebook page, uh, Real Presence Radio Network. Uh, feel free to jump on there with your questions of faith. Um, Chris, the, the other thing that I was just going to articulate was uh, going back to C.S. Lewis and the Great Divorce. You know, so so really those apostolic pardon, even confession. You know, for us Catholics, confession is is this direct avenue to forgiveness, but there's this reality that even though Christ has forven right. me, right. Um, can you expound on, you know what I mean? Do you, yeah. do you know where I'm going? Yeah. You're going to be able to articulate it better I, than I will. So, um, the, when we commit a sin, uh, it's an offense against God and it, but it also has an effect on, on us, us, right? So, like, so if I, uh, if I habitually lie, I'm just a bad lie. You can't believe a word I say, right? Um, so I, I can confess the sin, bless me, Father, if I have sinned, blah, blah, blah. I, 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 I've been struggling lately, been telling numerous lies. God forgives um, that, that sin, and yet I still have this, 
this uh, disposition towards lying because I've done it. I formed a habit mm-hmm. of lying. So that sort of that, that, that disposition in my soul to not tell the truth needs to be purified and, and, and perfected because in order to enter into heaven, I have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So God has to perfect me and purify mm-hmm. that tendency to lie that's in me. So if I were to die uh, right after I walked out of confession, um, I would get to heaven eventually, but, but I still need to be purified of the sin, the, of, of my, not of the sin, purified of that disposition to lie, which I've, I'd struggled mm-hmm. with before my death. Mm-hmm. I don't Is remember that- who, um, who articulated it this way, but almost like a sea creature at the very, very bottom of the ocean. Um, if you were to just put them out in the middle of, in the middle of the day, in the, in the bright light, it would be so bright. They yeah. couldn't handle it. Yep. You know, they couldn't because they're, um, yeah, because they're, they're used to this darkness. And so there's this purification process that needs to happen of bringing the sea creature up to the light, bringing us into the light, um, where our eyes can actually receive it, where our eyes can take it in and we're not blinded. Yep. Yep. It, so that's you know? why that's why purgatory is such a, a mercy and a Amen. grace Amen. because it's God's way of uh, acclimating us to the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but just to clarify, in case you're not Catholic, and what is this purgatory thing anyway? Um, there's some misunderstanding. It's not permanent. If you're in purgatory, you will get, will get to heaven. And our prayers that we offer for the dead, that's because of the grace of Jesus Christ, one on the cross, <clears throat> that our prayers make a difference. Mm-hmm. Just like my prayers for you as you're raising your young kids, me, yours for me as I'm raising my older kids, they work because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So too do our prayers for the souls in purgatory work because of the grace of Amen. Jesus Christ. Great distinction. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Emily Liedem and Chris Bergwald. Uh, it's been an awesome morning so far. We're here right now answering your questions of faith. Uh, we would love to have you call in. Um, the number that you can reach us is 877-795-0122. Again, that's 877-795-0122. Um, we had a great question earlier this morning about devotions um, particularly Gregorian masses, but devotions of praying for the dead, um, which has led us on a really interesting conversation about just, especially in this month of November, mm-hmm. as Chris, you were saying earlier, um, a devotion of of praying for the dead. Um, a little bit later, and, and we're going to get into this conversation when Chris Motes joins us later on, um, but a question came in from a listener um, about the death penalty. Right. Um <clears throat> Here's the question. Are Catholics required uh, to be against the death penalty in all cases? That's a great question, and I do look forward to uh, our, our conversation with Chris Motes about it um, in, the, in the next hour. But, but I, I think I can go ahead and, and anticipate that conversation a little bit to answer this question right now. A um, little bit of context. It's not really a yes or no answer, actually. It's a, it's a straightforward question, but requires a little bit of explanation. Um, the church has has long taught that the the state has the right to use the death penalty. Um, so the church has always taught this. It seems to be part of the of of, of church teaching that the death penalty um, is illicit. That means it's valid. However, there has been not really a change, but just a um, as as the modern era, frankly, as prisons have become more. Uh, effective in 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 keeping protecting uh, protecting society from those and frankly from themselves from mm-hmm. one another and mm-hmm. so on mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. there isn't as much the need anymore 
to use the death penalty. So the church, you know, if you think about when you commit a crime, it's not always the case that your penalty is the crime you committed. So somebody who steals a million dollars through fraud, they don't have to pay back a million dollars. They don't have it. They're, they're put in jail. So the punishment that's um, uh, given out is, is, is not the same as the crime that was committed. So the church has never said that if you've taken a life, Therefore, your life will be taken. There has to be some punishment. And today, because we don't need to use the death penalty, the church says that we shouldn't. Not necessarily that it's it's wrong, because again, the state does have the authority to do so, but it's not necessary anymore. Emily, does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. so I think there's... Um, so the, the way the listener articulated it... Um, are Catholics required to be against the death penalty in all cases? I would say no in the strict sense because um, in those parts of the world where uh, prisons aren't as secure or if that should ever if that has been the case in our country, who knows? Uh, hundreds of years, not, years from now, it might not be the case here again. Um, it might be necessary to use the death penalty to protect society from those who 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 kill others unfortunately mm-hmm. um, but currently in our country this is why the bishops in south dakota um, have been urging for a repeal of the death penalty it's not necessary to protect society and therefore the church um, asks us to not use it and there was a uh, in the catholic world um, there was a bit of a conversation surrounding this topic a few months ago in regard to um, the Holy Father Pope right. Francis yep. and uh, some vocabulary yep. um, changes that he made. Can you talk a yep. little bit about that? So the change to the catechism that was made uh, about a year and a half ago now, um, so new editions of the catechism as they're, they're printed, will have this. Uh, it, it's not a reversal by any means. It's just, just a modification of language. Uh, the, the death penalty is inadmissible, which does not mean always, e- e- uh, always evil. Frankly, to me, this is just saying what St. John Paul II said uh, 20-some years ago in his encyclical, The Gospel of Life, that is that we shouldn't use the death penalty if we don't need to. And we only need to when we have to protect uh, society from uh, dangerous inmates. Um, so, uh, to me, uh, Pope Francis's change is not a substantial change. I know some people were concerned because of the language of inadmissible, but that doesn't mean always evil. Mm. Um, he didn't use a technical term that would be intrinsically, intrinsically evil, evil, which would mm-hmm. be the term that would say mm-hmm. it's, it's forbidden. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit nuanced because there's definitely a language in which the church um, uses kind of regarding doctrine like that. And I think if we're not necessarily familiar with that language, it can be a bit difficult to decipher through inadmissible versus intrinsically evil yep. you know on the surface yep. uh, yep. there it, it might appear very very much the same yep. um, and and there's a strong nod towards that in the sense that um, this is very 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 rare um, right. that this would ever be you Nece- know in our necessary yes. in our country yep. um, so yeah I think there's a there's the reality there too of just the language yep. um, barrier in yep. some way uh, and then you're also translating it to several languages throughout the country or throughout the world world. excuse me throughout the world so i think that's a a great question um again you're listening to straight talk the number to call in we'd love to hear your voice is 877-795-0122 we had another listener question come in and this is regarding um kind of pro-life politics, etc. the question is how can catholics reconcile supporting a pro-life politician when that politician acts 
uh, immoral or in an unchristian way at times? Yeah. That's a big question. That is a big question. So um, here's the thing. So when we're voting for politicians, um, what the church says, so faithful citizenship um, is the U.S. bishop's document. Um, The catechism is the universal document that talks about our responsibility um, as Christians in societies where we have a right to vote, as we obviously do as Americans. We should, we should, um, exercise that right in an informed way. What do we do, though, when somebody who supports issues that we believe in, not just as Catholics, but as Christians, for, as human beings, um, so like the pro-life issue, what do we do or how do we reconcile it, as that listener asks, um, when they act in immoral ways or unchristian ways at other times? Um, the way that I approach that, first of all, I mean, there are times when I act um, in an immoral or unchristian way because I'm a sinner, which is not to excuse it, but to recognize the fact that A, we're all sinners. B, um, when I'm looking at politicians, I'd love for us to have the ideal like, like for us as Catholics, somebody who um, is imperfectly embodies everything that we believe as Catholics, but that's a rare political candidate, to be honest. Um, so just in terms of their policies, it's difficult, let alone the fact that sometimes um, either we know going in or we find out after the fact that they really have some serious moral issues. But I vote for them because of their policies. This is how I look at it, but I think this is how the church asks us to look at it as well. I vote for them because of the policies that they hold for, not necessarily because of their personal morality. I want them to be moral, but if they vote by policies that are right and just, even if their personal life is unjust or immoral, that's the important thing. And I think this is why the church will never endorse a candidate. You know, right, there's exactly. never there's never a time in which the church will say you ought to vote for this person. The role for us is to to inform, be informed consciences, yep. essentially. Exactly. So um, great question, a complicated question and something that um, we'll definitely need to come back more in the future because it's it's a uh, it's one on a lot of people's minds. Um, we do have another question on the phone. Stephen from Holly. Stefan, excuse me, Stefan from Holly. Are you with us? Yeah. Hello, Hello. Stefan. Welcome to the show. What's your question this morning? Okay, so I was wondering how in the readings last Sunday, um, one story mentions the seven brothers and their mother that are killed because they will not eat pork. Yep. And I was wondering, what is the point of their suffering and sacrifice if later in the New Testament, Jesus tells us that nothing unclean enters through the mouth? Oh, that's a that's a great question, Stefan. So, uh, a bit more context for the listeners. Um, this is the, the reading um, was from uh, I can't remember his first or second Maccabees, but it's the Maccabean era of of Jewish history, which is just a couple centuries before the time of Jesus. Um, and it's a time when when the Greeks were the ones who were ruling the Holy Land at the time, um, and and they they were basically forcing the Jews to adopt. Greek religion. They they were they were telling Jews you have to give up your Jewish ways. You have to adopt uh, the Greek religion, and so and so they were they were they were killing people who would not comply. And so one of the things so Jews were well known then as they are today uh, for not eating pork. Uh, pork is not kosher. It's it's ritually impure uh, for the Jews. Um, so they did not and and do not today eat it as well. Uh, so the Greeks knew this. So they they would basically say eat the pork or die. 
Uh, and and that's what happened in the, the story that we read about, um, a historical account of a woman and her sons who chose to remain faithful to God's laws insofar as they knew them rather than, uh, rather than um, eating the pork. So, Stefan, to get to your question then with that context, and I was just sort of hinting it at the end, at, up, up to that point, so Jesus, as, as you indicated, uh, Jesus had not yet come. Um, and he had not yet um, released uh, with through the apostles um, the, the 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 Jews and Gentiles obviously as well, but from all the ritual purity laws that they had been living by for centuries. So at that time, the old covenant was still completely in effect. So for a Jew, um, you you had you had to abide by those ritual purity laws, including what's kosher and what's not when it comes to eating. Um, it's true. So your your question is but later Jesus would forgive them or, or release them them from that that's true but that had not happened yet so there were these laws that were um, transitory in nature we know that in hindsight but at the time the Jews uh, were simply seeking to be faithful to God's laws in so far as he had revealed them to them and in so doing that's a meritorious act on the part of that that's why we read about it that's why Maccabees is part of the Bible one of the reasons um, it's inspired first and foremost but why it's a powerful read is because we see the fidelity of these this this woman and her sons to God's laws which were still in force at that time does that make some sense Stefan yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks great. so much for calling in. That's a great question. Thanks, Stefan. We also had a listener comment uh, that I want to make sure we, that we get to before we uh, end straight talk. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we were talking earlier in the segment about uh, praying for the holy souls in purgatory, um, and that St. Rita is, is a great patron um, and offered us some prayers for releasing souls from purgatory. But apparently St. Gertrude yes. um, also, also has uh, has become a great patron uh, for that prayer. So definitely remember St. Gertrude as well. Um, what an interesting conversation. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, can I ask a little follow-up sure. uh, question as we kind of are rounding out this segment? Um, Jesus came, uh, and and all of those, the the unclean, even yep. um, touching the hemorrhaging, the hemorrhaging woman yep. um, is a good example. Yep. So can you just expound upon that a little bit that, um, you know, Jesus was a Jew, and yet he, um, he himself kind of, read my mind. Abrogated, yes. Uh, uh, did away the with laws. Th- those yes. ritual laws. So Some of those laws. it's important to remember why they were there to begin with. The reason so many of these. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm going to try to do this justice in, in the time one we minute. Have. Ready, set, go. Um, the reason those laws were given is God was trying to separate. Okay, God brought the people out of Egypt in slavery from slavery, right? He also needed to draw Egypt out of their hearts mm. as well. So in Egypt. Um, there are all these different gods. There's all these all, all these different uh, religious practices that God needed to purify his people from. And, and some scholars indicate that one of the, the Jewish gods was represented by pigs. So and, and other so most of the unclean the 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 non kosher foods and so on may very well have actually been Egyptian gods. So God is trying to say to his people, listen, folks, you can't worship the Egyptian gods anymore. Hmm. You can't worship. Mm-hmm. The God represented by pigs. I don't know what their mm-hmm. names were. 
To make this clear to you, I'm going to forbid you from eating from uh, of these animals, mm-hmm. including pigs. So this is God trying to purify his people to draw Egypt out of them after he'd taken them out of Egypt um, to make them holy. All right, so it's setting up sort of a fence so that they don't violate more important laws. Mm-hmm. When Jesus comes because of the power of grace, the power of the new covenant that he brings, a lot of those things are no longer necessary because the power of grace allows us, hopefully we've been purified, so those temptations to idolatry are not as significant as they were before. So now by eating the flesh of a pig, we won't be mm-hmm. as tempted to literally worship the Egyptian god represented by a pig. Sure. From 15 centuries before. So Jesus says, verily I say unto you, a pig is just a pig. <laughs> <laughs> that's I that's, think that's uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, the, uh, the, chapter uh, 2. <laughs> translation according to Emily Leadham, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> a pig is just a pig. Fascinating. Well, this was a really, really interesting segment. Thanks so much for all of those that called in. Um, hopefully you learned a little something new. Um, and definitely tune in. We do this every single week every day. single day excuse me i knew i was going to say that wrong we do this every <laughs> single day um and we'd please yeah we'd love to have you continue to come back um and give us your questions so we're gonna be back soon thanks so much <laughs> <laughs>